The play-by-play voice for the Utah Jazz returning from a five-game road trip. David Locke hanging out with me. David, how many days have you been on the road now? Uh, that was long. All I know is I just opened up my drawer to get dressed to go down to Tape Channel 2 KUTV, and I only had one pair of boxers in there. <laughs> So laundry better be done tonight because I'm out of underwear. I've been on the road combined the, long enough that I didn't get the last laundry done in the time that the next laundry took off, I guess. You took the whole drawer, yeah. basically. Yeah, so the drawer's empty right now, and um, it's a sad statement. By the way, wait, I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. On what, something you just said. You said uh, perspective on how good the University of Utah is. Yeah. Do you think the rest of the country doesn't know? It seems to me that there's an equal discussion going on of whether Utah, Oklahoma, or Baylor is the fourth best team and that Utah is being, at least from my perspective, not having followed them nearly as closely, that Utah is being respected in that regard no differently than any other Pac-12 team has and, and may or may not be thought of as being better than Oklahoma. Do you think that they're, being, that they're not being appropriately regarded nationwide well what's interesting is i think that a lot of the rhetoric a lot a lot of conversation is kicking up that i I don't think people are used to where utah is being forced into that conversation and i think that a lot of the national pundits are starting to push utah Uh, i was watching monday night football and the guy that was commentating for monday night football actually put up his top four and i've seen a couple of others that have put utah in that top four. So I think some of the guys that put in the homework or put in the time to do their homework and watch the film or stay up late and watch some of these late kicks, I think that they're getting it. I just still think like the the football fan national perspective is still, well, they've got to put two SEC teams in. Even if it's a possible two-loss SEC team, you've got to have two SEC teams. Well, you've got to put that Big 12 champion in. Well, you've got two eleven and one teams that are playing, and you've got one eleven and one and one one a ten and two team that's playing for that Pac twelve championship. Well, that should be a bigger victory, you know. Instead of just looking at the football team and having it pass the eyeball test as a complete team, I think sometimes people get a little bit lazy in in regards to college football and and fall back on what's typically worked. Since we will see, obviously, if it plays out, and obviously Utah has to win. My instinct was when Oregon lost that it was bad for Utah. Watching what's played out since, I actually think it was good for Utah. Because it's put Utah in the conversation and forced people to evaluate Utah. Whereas if Oregon had not lost, they would be evaluating Oregon. And whether it's Oregon or Oklahoma or Baylor, or they'd be like Oregon, Utah, Oklahoma, Baylor. And I think Utah would be the fourth team talked about in that regard. And the fact that Oregon lost to Arizona State, I actually think it's turned out to be very good for Utah because it's propelled them to the top of the discussion and made people look into who they are. And I think that'll help them out a great deal if they can win this game. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I do think it's forced people to look at who they are. But I, I do believe that a, a top five and a top six ranked team in a Pac-12 championship game would have had more influence than a two-loss Oregon team. I, it, but you're right. right. People are looking at Utah and saying, well, do they belong? Do they deserve? And I, I think a lot of these national football minds are starting to say, boy, that's as complete a team as you're going to find in the country. But I was talking with Mike Eugen, and I just know, a, I know just you. Just imagine, hands, where they'd be if Chris Hill had fired Kyle, Kyle Whittingham like he wanted to. 
Oh my gosh, man! Now, now that's a conversation for another day. That's that's something you and I need to sit around a table and chew on for a little while because we could talk about some of the guys that were looked at as possible replacements and why that contract took so long to extend and what was his overall beef. And there's a lot of things to go on in in, in that. You can't just throw that out there and move on, David. Now, how how are we going to talk Utah Jazz now? I don't know. He was stuck. about you football. <laughs> Man, that was brutal. That was a run by. Well, I mean, it's it like we all, everybody always wants the coach fired, and there were numerous reports that the AD wanted the coach. I'm sure he'll deny it now, but there were numerous reports at the time from really well placed sources that the AD wanted the coach fired, yeah. and then it didn't happen. He won a power. Kyle won the power play. I mean, I'm just going off what I've been told. Like, I don't think I'm wrong on this one. I wasn't reporting it myself, but it's pretty well researched and from numerous places, and it's just a an interesting kind of piece of like everybody always wants their coach fired right yep like well clearly like the utah would not be anywhere near where they are today if they had fired their coach that's, like that's absolutely they have a right. great coach who was a, you know i've always been a huge kyle believer i understand what his warts were offensively and, and tyler hunley has gotten through those but he also was one of the few coaches in the country who you knew exactly what you were getting every single day when he came out and you knew exactly who he was trying to recruit and that's what that characteristic that he was being criticized for is what makes him great mm-hmm. um so i've always you know been a huge kyle believer because not because i mean i like kyle all that stuff but i don't know him like personally i don't i don't have any great relationship with him we're certainly comfortable when we see each other but i'm i mean i really like coaches that have a philosophy and a belief and so you know kyle Sure, we can criticize Kyle for his offensive coordinators, and we can criticize Kyle for the fact that every time a good offensive player comes, he ends up on defense. Well, that also just means that you know they're going to be great every year in some capacity of the game, and that's what's made them consistently good and now makes them great. And the fact that people were taking that for granted, and you know, as I said, like seemingly wanted and fired, is worth discussing as they're on where they are today considering how awesome they are right now no question about it and then you finally find the right offensive coordinating hire that takes that offense to the next level they're top 25 in the country in offense david they're putting up 454 yards a game you know they're, they're the number 23 rushing team in the country right now and, and in fair and in fairness to some of his past offense coordinators troy taylor's doing a hell of a job at Sac state so yeah, those guys is. just they, they may have been very, very good, but inside the constraints of what they have to do at Utah, they weren't very good. Okay. Yeah. But that's not necessarily them. That's what Utah is, and that's what should be should be cherished and understood. Well, just look at – okay, all I, all I need to mention is one number, and it indicates to you and, and every Utah fan and every football fan out there that knows Kyle Whittingham how much – Ludwig, Ludwig works in tandem with Kyle, and that is Utah is number two in time of possession. They hold the ball for 34 minutes on offense, and they make Kyle Whittingham's defense look like exactly what they should be and what they are and what they've been recruited to be extremely dominate, uh, dominant, the number one rush defense in the country. Well, uh, can you be the number one rush defense in the country when you're number two in time of possession and you're only allowing teams you're you're allowing the fewest offensive snaps in the country, holding teams to just minutes and and few possessions and that offense is is you know part of the cog now that works in tandem with Kyle Whittingham. It's really impressive, David. I absolutely love that because both in the NBA 
NBA actually had some analytics behind it that made sense. College football had almost no analytics behind it that made sense with the old speed-up concepts and all that. In fact, I think Bronco Mendenhall would still be the head coach at BYU, and they'd still be, you know, probably still been rolling if he hadn't got so caught up in it as a defensive coordinator that was so worried about the speed game, the speed game. There was no metrics that said there was anything about the speed game that actually made it better. It just was faster. Faster is not always better, and Utah's proven the opposite. I kind of love it. So, David, coming back from this five-game road trip, I was thinking back to my time, and I can remember my broadcast team. They they were with us on the road and had an opportunity to kind of feel the the temperature of the team. Bob Lamy was kind of always had his fingers in it and was great. He was one of my favorite guys to talk with, and I spent time with him. And I know that you have an opportunity to chat with coaches and chat with players. And you was you saw this one and four road trip, and as their guys are coming back, I I want to get your your temperature on the continuity of this team how how are they gelling how are they coming together oh i mean i think if i'm really i I could give you a bs answer to that but let's be honest not very well right like you can see it on the court you know they they've got they've got a three 20 point a game scores last year they they can't quite figure out how to work all three of them together rudy wants the ball more i'm not sure why but he he said it publicly um emmanuel moody and jeff green are are non-passers primary shooters in the on the second unit and you know i think they all get along probably and they're fine and you know but you're right like this was the road trip that was supposed to like we stayed over in every city we had team dinners it was supposed to be this like it didn't happen like and now they've, they've got to work to try to find how they're going to work so they don't become last year's boston team and that's that's true we're really honest that's where we are right now is that and no one's doing anything You know, Boston was unique in the sense that, you know, they had a player who doesn't think the earth is round. And so that changes the dynamic a little bit. I don't think we have that phenomena. But we do have, you know, if Donovan's coming up, Donovan's trying to get the team going, and Donovan's response to getting the team going is coming up to pick and roll and shooting. And and if Mike Conley's trying to get it going, really, Mike Conley's not. Like, he scored 21 points a game last year. As much as he's a brilliant point guard and a brilliant basketball mind, he's, he's more of a player than a true point guard distributor he and Marcus Gasol had a tandem but he's not he's never been he's not like 13 assists a game guy um Bogdanovich scored 20 points a game for the second half of last year scored 30 points more times with the Jazz than he had in his entire career combined and so when he comes off the curl he's thinking shoot and when Conley comes off the pick and roll he's thinking floater and when Emmanuel Moody is in the game he's thinking shoot and so these guys have got a big quantum change they have to make to figure out how to get the best out of each other Right now, they're all very good at getting the best out of themselves, and it's gonna it's a it's gonna be a real process for them to understand what getting the best out of the team is. And they're not it's not their point hunting or they're trying to get their own. But these guys are all so good, and and this isn't just you know the five guys I've mentioned, but they are the primary um, score shooters on the team right now. Um, those guys or six guys I've mentioned, those guys' thought is, hey, if I can get it going, that'll be good for the team. And each of them are doing that in their individual silo, and so they need to do it collectively. And I do, I think that's the trick here. It's not like you're going to a a petulant seventh grader and telling them that they have to change their behavior because they're being bad. You're actually going to, like, the the straight-A seventh grader and telling them that they actually need to sacrifice their straight A and work with their teammates, and maybe they're going to get a B plus instead. But their team, the whole 
class will have a better combined GPA. Eh, that doesn't sound that great. Like, are you sure that's what it works? Like, I think we might just be better off if I get an A. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think this is a very, very difficult task for these guys. I think they're all willing to do it. But what you're asking them to do is difficult. Very difficult. The trust fall. It's, it's, it's tough. You know, you've been doing something one way and you're being asked to completely give in to this new way and it can be difficult. I, I, don't, I don't mean to look over this Philly game because I, I think there are a lot of interesting aspects of it. But I think an entire sports study could be done on the first half of that Toronto game as compared to the third quarter, David. I, in, in, you're there, you're courtside, you're watching this 40-point deficit in the first half and then a 49-point third quarter. What happens in that moment, in your opinion? Well, Toronto's the one I, the game that I'm accounting to the road trip. Um, Philadelphia, a little bit. Um, teams that are at home with a rest advantage are winning 69% of their games right now in the NBA, and so that was Philadelphia. They're undefeated at home and with a rest advantage. There was probably little chance you were winning that game. Toronto, just on a personal level, I felt awful all day. I went out in the snow, tried to wake my – I mean, went on a walk, tried to get myself going – our travel just didn't work out right on that one. We left Memphis. We didn't practice in Memphis. So the guys were sitting around all morning. Then we left at one o'clock. We landed in Toronto at four with two hour flight with an hour time change. By the time we were through customs, it was probably five or four thirty. And then it took 90 minutes for us to get into Toronto because of the traffic into a major city on the black Friday shopping weekend. And so the guys were just sitting around all day. And then the next day there was a blizzard and a snowstorm and an early game. And so all of a sudden our guys had been sitting since and not getting on the floor or getting out or doing much of any. I don't even know if they all, many of them went to dinner. I would guess they all probably had room service just because we just gotten in. Um, and so I just, they were, I, I felt terrible that day. If you listen to Ron and I was on the floor, I said, I feel awful. I hope the players feel better than I do. And they didn't, and they were a step slow against the longest, most athletic team in the league, and they just it just snowballed on them. And then we had, and then you know, if it had only happened once, I would say hands. We could say it's a one-time problem, but we have a legitimate problem when we pull our starters of what is happening to the offense. And I know a lot of people are talking defense, and I had some fun with Austin today on on Twitter. I, I don't think it's a defensive problem. I think our defense is where it was. To, is is going to be where it's supposed to be if we can fix the offense. But in Toronto, I think we went one of 18 shooting in a stretch. In Philadelphia, we scored on two of 25 trips down the floor at one point, or maybe it was 23 wow. trips. Wow. You, you cannot survive that. And, and and so, you know, frankly, as much as I'm talking about Donovan and Boyan and Conley and Rudy and all that stuff I talked about to start with, that's really the issue. The issue is the minute we go to our bench – in the, the second quarter, we are either 29th or 30th in the league offensively. We absolutely have had droughts that you cannot overcome. And uh, that, that's, that's the problem. David Locke, the play-by-play voice for the Utah Jazz, hanging out with us. And, David, now you've got a stretch of five of the next six at home. Is, is this what the doctor ordered? Is, is this something that can help the Jazz get back on track, coming back home against you know, some of your, your – well, you're not higher ends. Your, your Bucks and your 76ers are just 
difficult, but coming home and having a little bit more simple stretch of five of the next six at home. No question if you can beat the Lakers. It, you know, first game back from a long road trip is always bad, but they're playing in Denver tonight, so that just one, that one's just not going to be ugly both ways. Um, if you could beat the Lakers, who very well may have lost two in a row by that point, would really would be uh, would really erase all of the Toronto and Philadelphia your memories. Like I think, you know, these guys need some believe moments. Um, the loss in Memphis and the loss at home to Minnesota kind of prevented one of that stretches from happening where you start to feel good about yourself. Um, they need that. So, yeah, if you could beat the Lakers and propel yourself into this next stretch, um, I don't actually know who we're playing. I know we're going to Minnesota. I only know my life based on dinner reservations. Um, so I know we're going to Minnesota, but we're home for, I think, what, Golden State's in there? Is there a Charlotte? Is that, or, or is that not or, right? Yeah, Orlando, Golden State, Oklahoma City, Memphis, and Los Angeles. And, yeah, and so I mean, Oklahoma City's pretty good. Um, they've had a really, really hard schedule. They're much better than um, their record is. So that that will not be. If we're not playing right, they'll get us. Uh, so we got to be playing right. You got to be. If you beat the Lakers, play right. You got to beat Oklahoma City by playing right. Um, Charlotte and Orlando are actually the same. Um, I don't know if you know that they've never been seen in the same place at the same time. They're they're actually like all those. Um, rock bands like Loverboy and Rat and all them never been seen in the same place at the same time. <laughs> Did you just say Loverboy and Rat? I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I thought you looked like Holland Oates and Captain Thunil. I mean, like I don't know, like you could you could do a few. I don't know, <laughs> like Seals and Crofts and ha- and Holland Oates have never been seen in the same place at the same time. David, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're safe. Uh, Excited to have some home games for all the Jazz fans to come out to. Again, Wednesday, December 4th, you got the Lakers right here at Vivint Smart Home Arena. That's tomorrow night. You want to be here. So get those tickets, come in, support this team. Should be fun. And Saturday Saturday and Monday, so great chances to come out and bring the family, see these guys play, see see them get it going. We got, you know, this is the time where – the fact that the Jazz um, put a lot of value in character and who and um, and the depth of the personalities that they bring to the team is a is a good thing. This is this is where it matters. That is a great point right there. Let's see if it reflects as they come back home. Thanks so much, David. Okay, see ya. David Locke, play by play voice of the Utah Jazz.